Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You are invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon. Our scripture today comes from the book of James, chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with the oil of the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if any of you should wonder from the truth, and someone should bring the person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Coming into this Valentine's Day weekend, 2020, we were expected to reach record spending highs with a grand total of $27.4 billion being spent on the holiday in America alone. Now, different portions of that were broken up with $14.1 billion being the biggest portion spent on spouses and significant others. Other portions would be for friends and coworkers, teachers and children. But even $1.7 billion of that total is spent on pets alone. But if you forgot to get your pet a valentine, I'm sure you can run out this afternoon and pick up something on clearance and hopefully they'll be forgiving. We are heavily invested in this holiday created for showing love. Yet we still seem to be missing the mark as a culture and showing and growing in our love. This is obviously not because of a lack of financial investment, but perhaps a lack of focus and intentionality. Grant and I got to celebrate our first Valentine's Day together back in 1994, at the ages of 15 and 17. And if I'm being generous, I could say that we were slightly more mature than the average American teenager, but we still were nowhere near mature enough to understand anything about love beyond mild infatuation. Anyone who has spent more than five minutes in a relationship understands that love does not begin and end with a feeling, but it is a verb that requires constant action and undulates through experiences of happy excitement and gut-wrenching nightmares. For the past two weeks, we've been looking at the specific ways that we both express and receive love through Dr. Gary Chapman's love languages. We've looked at words and gifts and service. This week, we get to explore the love language of physical touch. Now, when Dr. Chapman talks about physical touch, he's not simply talking about a sexual or sensual touch, but it includes holding hands or hugs or pats on the back and other actions to show presence and encouragement. 
This can be a somewhat difficult love language to express beyond your immediate family since it encroaches on someone else's personal space and we live in a culture with a heightened awareness of appropriate touch because so often people have used touch to do more harm than good. But someone with the love language of physical touch may put their hand on their arm when they're talking to you or want to give you a hug whenever they see you. I happen to have a child with a primary love language of physical touch, and when she was only slightly smaller than she is now, she seems to have forgotten that we actually cut the umbilical cord. One way that this desire for physical touch would present her itself was that she would always want to sit on my lap after she was done eating. So she would finish eating and then come around to my chair and say, can I sit on your lap? And I would say, well, I'm not done eating, so please wait. So she would stand next to my chair and I would keep eating and pretty soon this little leg would come up and just slide onto my lap. And before I knew it, I was eating around a child. <laughs> But even if physical touch is not your primary love language, we're all created to need touch. There are countless developmental studies that show the importance of human touch in infants. Through touch, babies learn about their environment, they receive brain stimulation necessary for development, and they begin to learn how to communicate. And the benefits continue beyond infancy to all ages. Physical touch among adults releases oxytocin, which reduces stress and anxiety. Touch boosts immune systems, and it builds trust and relationships. When our son Theo had been home with us for only about two weeks, he encountered some health complications that landed us in the hospital. So we spent a couple of days over at Cardinal Glennon, and Grant and I did not leave his side. For that two days, I slept in the bed with him, I held him while they poked and prodded him, and Grant was there the whole time, leaving only for short periods to go get food to bring back for us. And we were all very scared, not knowing what was going on and not really being able to communicate with each other. But we knew that that time together, we could support each other through being together in support. And the, as Theo began to get better and we walked the halls of the hospital, I could see in some of the other rooms that not every child had someone with them. And different families have different circumstances. Grant and I were blessed to be able to be with Theo that whole time. But the hospital also understands the benefits of physical touch and healing. So they have angelic volunteers come in and hold those babies and toddlers and sing to them and interact with them because they know that along with medicine and medical care, presence and touch are an important part of the healing process. So how does this love language transfer to our relationship with God? Except for about 33 years around the first century, no one has been able to physically touch Jesus. But God has given us each other the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus, to show love and live out our faith together. This brings us to our first point in your study guide. We are created to live in Christian community. When a teacher of the law asked Jesus what the greatest commandment is, he said the most important one is love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. It is impossible to live out loving your neighbor in isolation. We must see them face to face, talk to them in person, and touch them skin to skin. Jesus lived out this example for us in his time on earth. 
He chose to be with a select few people, and he taught them by sharing his time and sharing stories and sharing meals. He touched sick people that no one else would go near, and he spoke to the masses and encouraged them to love the one true God. And this is what he calls us to as his disciples. Community can look like many different things. In some ways, it is our family that we live with, but it doesn't end there. Jesus continually pushes us to interact with others who do not look and act like us. A Christian community is simply a group of people who are seeking God together. They are in many ways on the same journey, but traveling different paths. Oftentimes we hear this described as one long path towards Jesus, and we're all on different parts of that path. But a while back on a podcast, I heard it described as more of like a village built around a well. And in that center of the village is that well, that living water of Jesus. And we all come and approach from different sides and are at different places in proximity to the well, but we are all going towards the center to be closer to Jesus and each other. God's idea for building each other up, helping each other, and remaining in the faith is the church. The scripture we read today comes from James, and this book has an overall theme of evidencing our true faith through actions of love and service. And the first chapter of James, verse 22, we are told to be doers of the word and not just hearers. And today's verses come from the end of the book, where the writer gives final encouragement to Jewish converts to Christianity who have been scattered by persecution. Verses 13 through 16 say, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. This passage shows us our second point. We are called to pray in times of trouble, sing praises, pray over the sick, and confess sins in community. We are called to come together through all circumstances and express all feelings. This includes the mountaintops and the valleys, the times we are comfortable sharing with each other, and the times where we struggle to be vulnerable. Many of you may look at this list of things in James and think, well, those are all my least favorite things to do with other people. Praying out loud, singing out loud, and telling each other our mistakes, that all seems like a horrible idea. But there is power in believers coming together in the name of God. Our worship services are built around these disciplines. We have many times of prayer throughout the service. And when we gather together and share those prayer concerns and begin to ask God for help, we start to understand that we are, in fact, not in control. And while this does seem frustrating, at the same time, other believers begin to share their struggles and similar trials. And we find that we don't have to carry our burden alone. Those around us also offer their prayers for us and give us encouraging words, and they remind us that our work is not in vain. And through difficult times, we are reminded that our Creator is also our sustainer. We also get to come and sing together as a congregation, and we follow Psalm 150, verse 6, which instructs us, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. 
We have such great opportunity to do this in our church here at St. John's where we have a beautiful choir and we have an amazing worship band. We have so many wonderful musicians that lead us in this and encourage us to share our voices because when we begin to sing and praise together, we see how small and yet how significant we are in the eyes of God, knowing that his love is more than we can grasp. Also with confession in community, this is a little more nuanced, and it is done in smaller community. It requires great humility on our part, and spiritual maturity, love, and understanding on the part of those close to us. But the benefits of confession still far outweigh outweigh the pain of the sacrifice. The love we experience when we know we are still welcome and accepted, even after we have done something wrong, is a kind of love that goes far beyond a heart-shaped box of chocolates. Now, many of these practices and disciplines that are incorporated into our worship service are also lived out well in small groups. We have many wonderful Sunday school classes and small groups here at the church where we get to dig in a little bit deeper and understand more of the daily lives of each other. It provides time for personal prayers and sharing. We have wonderful Sunday school classes that are lifted in your, listed in your bulletin. We also have our cancer support group, which you get to read about in the reminder today. We have visitation groups that go out and take communion and visit those who can't come into the building. I recently heard a report saying that it takes 50 hours of being together to move from being in an acquaintance with someone to being called a friend. And it takes 200 hours to go from being an acquaintance or a friend to what is considered a best friend. That's a lot of time and investment in each other. Now, there are many benefits to being together with believers, but we also know that wherever two or more are gathered, there will be conflict. Because of our different backgrounds and circumstances, we often have different ideas and priorities for how to live out our love for God. But we see this to be true in Scripture as well. The disciples constantly had conflict. They were a bunch of young, ambitious men that were just waiting for Jesus to say the the word so that they could overthrow the Roman Empire. This group included a former tax collector for Rome and a zealot who was a revolutionary against Rome who certainly would not have seen eye to eye on politics. In Mark chapter 9 and again in Mark chapter 10, we see the disciples arguing about who will be the greatest and who will get to sit at the right hand of Jesus in the kingdom. But Jesus continues to calmly redirect them to the goal of following God in unity. And this is our job in Christian community. James 5.19 says, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover them and cover over a multitude of sins. God has given us the job to encourage each other to remain faithful to him. We are all sinners, and we are all in need of a Savior. God's desires for us are far more than the world has to offer. We are bombarded with thousands of images and messages each day that we will be satisfied by the things of this world. We spend thousands of dollars ourselves, and as a a country, we spend billions of dollars to try to be filled with pretty and fancy things. But God is more concerned with our insides. The church and living in community is God's idea. So that means it's a good idea. In the book of Acts, we read about the beginning of the church after Jesus ascended into heaven. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 44 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. 
Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. From the beginning, it has been God's idea to have people live in community and spur one another on towards holiness. Engaging in fellowship with others brings us beyond a superficial spirituality. When we have troubles, when we offer up prayers, when we sing praise, when we confess sins, and when we work through conflict, we are living hands-on. We are digging underneath the surface and understanding more of who God is and how we can live into who he has created us to be. This brings us to our final point. Together we more completely reflect God. Christian author and speaker Sky Jatani notes the story of Lazarus in his With God Daily devotional to show the importance of community. After Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he instructs the witnesses to unbind him and let him go. Even though Jesus did the work of freeing Lazarus from death, he calls those around him to remove the final remnants of the tomb so he can engage in new life. This is symbolic of how Jesus calls us to help each other and shed our bindings of the flesh through prayer and fellowship. Now, I love being in Christian community, but I'm an extrovert, and I understand that's not everyone's personality. But I could sit at a St. Louis bread company for hours on end and dig into scripture with people or just hear their faith stories. And one of the reasons that I love to be in community is because it pushes me to know God more than if I were on my own. I hear other people's stories, and they challenge me to know him more, and um, they lift me up in prayer as well. So whether we enjoy community or whether we're more introverted and want to spend more time alone, it's harder for us to be with others. It's still hard to prioritize in our busy lives. So how can we make being in community a priority? Well, good news, you're all sitting in a worship service, so you're off to a great start. But we also have Sunday school classes and small groups that I encourage you to be part of if you haven't already. You can also bring Christ to your community. What season of life are you in? When I had an infant and a preschooler at home, even though everyone told me that the time would fly by, I was pretty sure I wasn't going to be able to potty train them by the time they left for college. So I started a mom's group with other Christian women who wanted to seek Christ in raising their young children. We got to meet together and share stories and ideas and pray for each other. So who are your people? Where are your people? You have a study guide in your bulletin that you can take to your family after church and ask them some questions. You can take it to your coworkers or your exercise partners throughout the week. You can share your experience with God and ask them about theirs. It also helps to understand that community doesn't always look how we expect. In a previous town that we lived in, I found myself surrounded by people who weren't necessarily my peers or weren't in the same stage of life as myself. But after spending time there, I realized that there were still people who were willing to pour into me and share their faith. It just so happened that they were my parents' age or older. And it seemed a little odd at first, but I realized that from being in the grandma's group, I could gain so much wisdom from these women who knew and had been before me and could share with me their love of God. Our culture is becoming increasingly isolated. Many of us work, shop, and find entertainment all from the comfort of our home. We have fewer and fewer reasons to interact with those living around us. But wisdom comes from being communal. 
sharing stories and encouraging others through trials and pointing each other towards an eternal God. Scripture instructs us to actively be involved in each other's faith journeys. God feels so passionately about us understanding how to live out our lives together that he sent his only son to live as an example for us, sharing meals together, praying and singing together, and encouraging each other to live out our lives in faithfulness to God. Join the believers that God has placed around you and seek after him to be all that he has created you to be. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we are so thankful for your love and for the gift of the love of others. We pray that as you join our hearts, we would more greatly reflect you. Please show us how we can be in community with others to know more about you and to live out your work and your kingdom. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.